ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting edition of Monday Motivation. Hi everyone, this is Rabbi Garfinkel of Project 613 here in Chicago. Oh, with an exciting, I am pumped for this edition of Money Motivation Victory Parade. Yes, in honor of my Golden State Warriors. I don't know if I call them my Golden State Warriors. However, if there is a basketball team that I would root for, it would be the Golden State Warriors. I remember decades ago when you could not give away tickets. We were in high school. The Warriors were so bad. One of my buddies had, uh, we grew up in the Bay Area, Marin County, near San Francisco. And at the time, they were not playing in the Chase Center. It was back in the Oakland Coliseum. We had to go all the way to Oakland, an hour drive there. Do you want the tickets? No way. Who wanted to go see the Warriors? They were awful. But they have built a dynasty and have won the NBA championship four out of the last eight years. They're batting 550% of the last eight years. The Golden State Warriors have won. This is a sweet victory because people had counted them out. And uh, they came back. They came back. Uh, they even, uh, for the even those people who don't follow sports, it's okay. This podcast is going to rock and roll. It's going to talk about really a deep fundamental need and why a victory is important. All right. Uh, a couple of housekeeping things, of course. Um, speaking of victories, unfortunately, my son's team baseball season ended tonight. They had a 7.30 start game for nine-year-olds. Can you imagine? That's like past bedtime. Uh, but it was a dramatic comeback. Fell just a little bit short, 7-5. to five. But we shall overcome. Don't worry. Summer baseball season is... Uh, going to be in full swing in a week or two. Hopefully after our daughter's wedding. My goodness, this Monday Motivation community is growing. So I want to share our wedding with everyone. It's going to be so unbelievable. A lot of people are coming who've never been to an Orthodox wedding. It is unbelievable. So happy to be sharing with everyone. All right, now let's get back to this. What is victory in sports? In particular, the victory parade. Right after, it's unbelievable, right after the Golden State Warriors beat the Boston Celtics in Game 6 of the NBA Finals, you go on ESPN just to check, a little checky, little checky-poo, and to see what's going on over there. And one of the articles is, boom, boom. That the details for the victory parade were already fixed. So this, even though this is being recorded Sunday night, actually past midnight. We're talking Monday morning already. Today, but it will be several hours from now before uh, this is being recorded before the actual parade. But this very day will be the victory parade. It was announced almost instantaneously. It's almost like they go together. The victory game six. Boom. When's the victory parade? So why? Why is that? And even more, the beyond the victory parade, okay, to celebrate, but, but there's something deep, something deep. Every champion has a, has a victory parade. And even more, there's something called the Hall of Fame. Would... 
Would sports be as universally popular if there were not a Hall of Fame? If there were not, now I know people don't go visit the Hall of Fame, but people talk about who's going to get in the Hall of Fame a lot. Like, I don't know if people actually visit Canton, Ohio, or all the other places where these where these Halls of Fames are for the various sports, but people talk a lot about it. And if you want to know the last, you know, five years in sports that people are talking about, maybe 10 years, particularly the last five years, the GOAT, the GOAT, what is the GOAT? Again, for all you non-sports people, hang on, hang in there. It's going to be awesome, this podcast, okay? GOAT is not only the, <laughs> bah, the animal that we'd bring for sacrifices in the temple way back long ago. The GOAT is stands for the greatest of all time. Now, if I can, I mean, the amount of millions of human hours that go in to of millions of people considering who is the best of all time. I guess in football, they've finally declared Tom Brady as the GOAT. Okay, but the discussions between you know, LeBron James and Michael Jordan and go on in ad nauseum, infinitum, who cares? There must be something deep in the human conscious and psyche that must debate that issue. Who is the greatest of all time? Who is the champion? Who is the greatest of all time? Why is that important to us? It fills a fundamental need. And what is the power of victory? What is the power of winning in sports? What is the power of winning in life, in business? You have that victory when everything comes together. What is it? We see it most clearly in sports when we're crowned champion. Even in business, you have a big success. It's very happy. But there's a certain dimension of a sports victory or potentially even a military victory that arouses certain deep primal human forces. And I'd like to share with you where they come from, and what does it mean for your life? All right, faster seatbelts, ladies and gentlemen, here we go, because we're going back to the Garden of Eden. Yes, the Garden of Eden, Gan Eden, in the beginning of the book of Genesis. And all Adam and Eve needed to do is not eat from that one tree, one tree, don't eat from it. Okay, there were reasons why they did, and the snake you know, fooled them. And okay, we're, we're sitting here Monday morning quarterback. How many times do we know there's something we shouldn't do? And we march right into doing it. By the way, the animal kingdom never has this. The animal kingdom, they know danger. They know something's bad for them. They never do it. We, on the other hand, we're trying to lose weight. We're already lick clean the third plate of chocolate cake and we're on to our fourth, okay? We know it's not good for us. People who smoke, people have any type of addictions. We are a unique creature. We can know something exactly what is not good for us and march right ahead and do it. Okay, so no piling on Adam and Eve because we do the same thing, but I digress. But what was their punishment? What was their punishment? The one, there were several. I'll focus in on one. One of their punishments was that they were going to die. Now, what does that mean? Okay, this needs an hour, but I don't have an hour. You don't have an hour. We actually only have about 13 minutes left of this podcast. So what does it mean that they were going to die? It means that before they ate from that tree, from that fruit, Adam and Eve were going to be, Adam and Chava were going to be, 
be able to fulfill their ultimate spiritual potential in this world without dying. This is all from the Ramachal, Ramosha Chaimutzatu, fasten your seatbelts. I'm going, this is like Kabbalah. Kabbalah. Okay? Kabbalah for the common person. The goal, mystically, of this world is that the neshama, the soul, will purify the body. This is why we believe that we don't castigate the body. We don't throw the body out. We believe there must be a synergy and a harmony between soul and body. But the soul, the Kabbalists say, the soul is like a radiant force and it shines its light on the body and elevates the body to a spiritual level. So it's actually like elevating the physical into a spiritual reality. Now, what would that spiritual body look like? I'm not sure. We're going to see that in the next world. By the way, you know what they call the next world? Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, okay? But unfortunately, because Adam and Eve brought, ate from the fruit of the tree, they brought in physicality into their bodies. They made the power of their body greater. The Christians below it, the Catholic Church un- misunderstood this. They said, therefore, that physicality is inherently evil and bad. That's why their priestly class doesn't get married. They don't involve themselves in intimacy because they, they believe that's for the commoners. We fundamentally reject that. It is not that physicality is bad, is that it became more powerful. It became so powerful within us that the soul in this lifetime is unable to purify it. And therefore, there must be a death process that the soul and the body are separated. That's called death, people. What is death? Death is when the soul leaves the body. By the way, when we die, we don't rest in peace. We are as fully conscious of ourselves as we were in when we were living. It's a very, this rest in peace business is not, it's not a Jewish idea at all. We, there is a certain concept of resting that we don't have to fight in this world anymore for, for progress. But, but we are as conscious and possibly even more in the next world. We are our neshama. Our consciousness is our neshama, is our soul. And so, in order for us to reach our potential, for our soul to shine its radiance on the body and elevate the body to a spiritual level, the two need to be separated. The soul goes to the next world. It's cleaned. It has a spiritual dry cleaning. It's supercharged. And then it will be able to, at the resuscitation of the dead, beyond the uh, scope of this podcast, will be able to shine the light on the body and elevate it to its original elevated state. Okay, that is why death needed to happen after they ate from the the, the fruit is because the they were the soul was no longer powerful enough to elevate the body. Now, what does it got to do with the price of tea in China? Is because once death came into the Adam's consciousness. What is the goal? What deep yearning is there in a human being is to live forever, is to return to the original state of Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava, of Netzach, of living forever. Once death came in, the soul longs to go back to that original state of living forever. 
of defying death, of becoming eternal. Do you know what netzach means in Hebrew? It means eternal. Do you know what nitzachon means in modern Hebrew? It means a victory. It means that when we are victorious and we crown the champion, he or she lives forever. There's a hall of fame because that hall of fame will make that person immortal. They will live on for generations and generations. They will become truly transcendent of time. They will live forever. They have finally, quote unquote, they think, overcome the original curse of Adam and Eve that they will die because I have a legacy that will live forever. If you think about the championship victory, it's a pleasure. It's a spiritual pleasure. It's not, you're not eating, you're not drinking, of course, you tailgate at the Super Bowl and all this stuff and the finals and all, but that's not that joy. The joy of the final buzzer, the joy of that final touchdown pass, it's not a physical pleasure. It's a spiritual pleasure of eternity. Now, that's for the players. Why do the fans like it? Because the fans attach themselves to the players and say, through them, I am going to live forever. So it, it, the fans, it's not even necessarily an authentically personal relationship, but since they've identified themselves as a member of this team, a member of this tribe, Golden State Warriors fans or whatever it may be, they attach themselves to eternity. That's why there's a Hall of Fame that's why there's a victory parade, because the victory parade, when people shine their praise and, and this ebullient praise on these mighty victors, these warriors who came back, warriors in basketball, but right, and that they are champions. They will live on forever. Their legacy will live on forever. Their world Champions. What do you mean world champions? Okay, they're world, they play basketball around the world. They're called world champions forever and ever. That is the spiritual thrill of overcoming death, of living forever. Nitzachon, a victory, and netzach, forever, are the same exact word in history. Now, do we think that the modern day sports of America is the very first time that we have a victory parade? Oh no, oh no, I know you were all thinking. You're all thinking about the Talmud in Gittin, the tractate, the tractate of Gittin, which deals with divorce documents. And, and by the way, when you're in one tractate of Talmud, you could be talking about divorce documents, one thing, and then the destruction of the temple in the second thing, second page, and it's all over the place. It's stream of consciousness. It's an oral law. So on page 56b, right, nun vav omen base. I know all of you were just reviewing this, right? And it talks about the destruction. I was learning this with my study partner, my chavrusa, and this it just hit me the same day the Warriors won. What happened? So there was a guy named Titus, and Titus came, and he was the Roman general who destroyed the temple. Now, he not only destroyed the temple, oof, I, oof, I can't even go through what he did, but he... He, 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 he spiked the football. He brought a harlot into the Holy of Holies where the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, went one time a year in Yom Kippur. He spread out a Sefer Torah, a Torah scroll, and he did the, you know, was intimate with a harlot in the middle of the... Oh, you can imagine the chutzpah of this guy. And then it says that he took the parochus, the curtain that was in front of the ark, and he 
wrapped up all of the vessels in the temple and he brought them back to Rome. What is the language of the Talmud? Ma'asah. What did Titus Titus do? He took the parochus. He made it into a form of like a carrier, a wine-shaped carrier. He took all the vessels of the base of Mikdash, which means the menorah and the showbread table and all the other vessels and utensils. And he brought him back in a boat. He went back, why? To be praised for his triumph in his city, in Rome. That's what he went back. Here we go, 2,000 years ago. He went back to victory. He brought back the spoils from the Jews' temple. And the Jewish people were not some backwater people. Everyone knew that we were the people of God. We were the people that left Egypt. This was not ancient history for them. They were living it. Everyone knew that we were God's people. And for the Romans to come in and take our vessels, we were the prize victory of all of their conquests. They came back and Titus made a victor- victory arch. You know, there's an Arc de Triomphe in Paris. There's Titus's arch right by the Colosseum in Rome. And you see the menorah. You see the menorah that was in the temple. It's right there, right now. Well, in two and a half minutes when we finish, Google Titus's arch. You'll see the menorah there. It's a snapshot in history. We have the journalists right there taking a snapshot of picture 2,000 years ago and the other vessels. Because Titus thought that he was going to live forever. Because that arch, that victory was forever. But I have a question. And this is a question that Rav Kahanaman, one of the great rabbis of the 20th century, who in 1942, when the Nazis were mowing down Jews left and right in the millions in Europe, started building one of the greatest yeshivas in world history in B'nai Barak, right outside of Tel Aviv. And we're a very famous visitor of Kahaneman. And he went to Rome. He was all around the world fundraising, trying to, you know, build, build this yeshiva. And he, he tells the driver, I need to go to the Roman Colosseum. He's like, Rabbi, why do you need to go? Well, why do you need to go? I need to go. Just take me there. He took him right next to the Colosseum to Titus's arch. And he gets out of the car and he says, Titus, Titus. That's Titus in Hebrew. Titus, Titus, Efoata, where are you? Where are you now? You are nothing. You have your ark, but you have your triumphant ark, but you're gone and your nation is gone and the people eating pasta in Rome right now have nothing to do with the Roman legacy. But we, we Jews, we're building yeshivas and we're learning Torah. And we, Am Yisrael, Chai. There's a rumor, unconfirmed, I don't know, but I believe it's true. That some Israeli spray-painted Am Yisrael Chai, the Jewish people, will live right on Titus Arch. Well, if they spray-painted it or not, it doesn't matter because the message is 100% true. And as we're bringing this in for a landing, here is the key question. All of us, we're not going to be Steph Curry. We're not going to... Uh, have that legacy of being the goats in sports. 
But here is the question and the whole point of the podcast. What is our netzachon? What is our legacy? What is our victory? What is going to be timeless about our lives? And if we're going to get pumped up about something, this is what to get pumped up on, is that we are part of an unbroken chain 3,334 years since Mount Sinai and 3,800 years back to Abraham and Sarah. And the baton of Jewish identity and Jewish ethics and morality has been passed on. And we, the Jews, are an eternal people. That's our victory. The Romans are gone and the Colosseum is in ruins. But we are alive and well. There are Jewish children learning the same verses now that were thousands of years ago. This is our eternity. This is our victory. People, this is what's exciting about being Jewish. I am pumped, if you can't tell. So get pumped. This is what it means. If you're not learning with a rabbi or a, a rebbitzin, let's get cracking. This is your eternity. This is what you want to pass on to your children. I don't care how old you are. This is what it means to be motivated on a Monday to be part of the eternal, victorious Jewish people. God bless. Have a great day. And I hope that this message pumps you up to become part, a greater part, a more active part of the eternal Jewish people. God bless. See you next week. Thank you.